Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is Dan DeFrancesco and I am the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, U.S. editor Anthony Malakian. I remember when you first came to me and said, Tony, we should do a podcast. And I was like, I don't want to do a podcast. And you're like, come on, let's do it. And was like, all right, we'll do it. I'm sure it'll crash and burn after about five episodes. And here we are, quarter of a century. Quarter of a century, 25 episodes in, what, that's uh, five, that's six, six times four, over six months, over six months, uh, I not to toot our own horns, but I am proud that we've done it every week, uh, I think it would have been easy for us to slip off. If I was in charge, you know that that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I couldn't have done it without you, bud, uh, I appreciate you, me dragging you out here and then bugging you about what topics we want to talk about, so... Glad to have it 25. Hope the next 25 are even more fun. So this week, uh, as I've Anthony and I have talked about, we're not dead set on doing guests every single week. You know, sometimes when we have a when we have someone good that we feel is going to provide something really worthwhile, like we did last week with uh, Mr. Richard Johnson of the Greenwich Associates, then uh, then we want to have him on. But if we feel like we can just have a great conversation, just the two of us, then that's what we're going to do. So this week, it's just going to be Anthony and I, and, uh, you know, kind of fittingly, because it was a little bit of a snow, slow week because of 4th of July, we're going to talk about our features. Uh, so they're going up, by the time this goes live, this will go live tomorrow, all of them will be live? All the features will be live by the time that this goes live, and then the opinion piece, there will be a couple opinion pieces and stuff like that that will be put up on Friday, and by Friday, everything from the July issue will be officially live on waterstechnology.com. So there's a lot of great features. The uh, the return, once again, of the great editor-in-chief of Waters Technology, Victor Anderson, with a great cover story. Uh, there's also some great, great folk, great pieces by the folks over in, uh, in, in London and our own, uh, counterparty here in the U S but cause we're selfish cause we only care about ourselves cause we're looking to promote our own work. Anthony and I are <laughs> going to talk about our own features naturally. Uh, so I will start with my feature on user experience, uh, to basically to sum things up and I think I kind of did this in my opinion piece I kind of talked about my line of thinking I went into this thinking that this is just going to be a story about how millennials because they're on Facebook and they're on Twitter and they're on their iPhone how it's changed the way banks have approached handling uh, their user experience and to be honest it wasn't that it was to an extent but it's a lot more than that everyone is on Facebook and Twitter and their iPhone. So everyone wants a better exp- user experience. And the love, the bar has been raised. And the biggest thing is that these big banks that were kind of accustomed to just doing it their own way, um, they, uh, they've kind of had to ch- switch gears. So I spoke to BNY Mellon, I spoke to Northern Trust, and I talked, spoke to Deutsche Bank. And all three of them had their own different ways of doing things. Uh, but uh, it was basically around uh, UXP, um, user experience platform, which essentially you kind of uh, set up so you can add widgets for different things. The way it was explained to me by someone at Deutsche Bank was that, it, by Wendy Redshaw at Deutsche Bank, was that it's essentially, if you look at a plane, a plane has a fuel gauge, fuel gauge, and that just tells you how much fuel you have in your plane. But what 
the UXP does is it takes that and for every different plane it adds a widget that tells you if you have enough fuel to get to your destination because that's the truly important piece and it shows up the same no matter what plane you are no matter what kind of equipment as the as pilots would say you're uh, you're flying so that's kind of the the big 30,000 foot view of the piece uh Anthony what do you have any perspective do you have any questions what what did you uh think of it well, I, guess I know you to start off with um so reading the story editing the story uh before it went up um there were a couple things that jumped out so i guess that when we're talking about user experience right we're talking about two things one we're talking about client user experience and then we're talking about your internal user uh, uh user experience um for the client user experience um one thing i thought was very interesting was uh Shresh kumar from bny mellon um him he was talking about how needing to eliminate layers in between when you're getting to the client and you know the people that are making this this uh this platform making the front end so he said uh when someone does something for a living they meet the client they meet the clients all the time so they think they really know what the client wants uh that's the kind of thing we are challenging that's an interesting point i think because i know like let's say for our website okay I would know what I like as a user. I would know I've been in journalism now and writing for online publications for over a decade. So I have an idea. I have my ideas as to what our clients want, what works on the internet. But I don't know how much that's true. You know, you really got to get out, you know, because our audience, very niche audience, they're used to dealing and interacting with technology in much different ways than I'm ever really used to using. So I think that if you look at, we had a, a site redesign, and I think it's beautiful. I think the layout's great. I think it's much easier to find things than it was in the past. Still, you know, some latency things you'd like to see cut out, um, but, you know, it's an evolving process. So there's that end of it. Then there's the in-house users. And here, uh, we use a CMS that I want to throw out the window <laughs> sometimes. I can't stand. We're, not great. Not we're, great. We're building a new one, um, and that will go. Uh, I think that we're gonna get ours rolled out for us uh, sometime before the end of this year, but might be Q1. Risk will have the new CMS, I believe, before the end of this year, as usual, second in, in line, I guess. Um, <laughs> Always the little step exactly step brother, the redheaded <laughs> stepchild. So, with that though, you know, there, so when we did the website, we asked all of our readers, "What's working? What's not? You know, what do you like? What isn't?" For this, hasn't been a lot of people asking me what my opinions are on the CMS, even though I'm, as a reporter, I'm the one using it every single day, day in, day out. And here's what I got, what, what I thought when I was reading the article. I'm not discrediting anything anybody's saying in this, but I think by and large, if you look, when you're talking about internal platforms and the user experience, I think that more often than not, there is a very small handful of people at the very top that, of the end user platform that really get to have a say. And then everybody else, even though those everybody else might be using that platform a whole lot more, they don't have as much of input. On, into yeah, it. no, I think that's a fair assessment. But also, you know, I mean, BNY Mellon, just to pick, you know, not to pick on them, but... What what's the size of their technology department? You think what fifteen fifteen thousand? I would say I would say over twenty would be yeah, may, over twenty thousand people. So are they going to send out a survey every time they develop? You know, and granted, it's not someone that's going to touch. But you know, are they going to send out a survey? Or it's even more than that. It's you know, how big is their firm? 
they're going to talk to every single trader and say what you know it gets to the point also it's what's the old saying um Too you know many. if a horse was built by a uh, consortium they'd come up with a camel you know, too mm-hmm. many cooks in the kitchen, you know. Man, you were just throwing out the old... <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole book of them. I got a whole book of them. I understand to your point, it sounds all, yeah, it's client-centric, client-centric. And then at the end of the day, it's, you know, I mean, BMY Mellon. Let me put it this way. So for the website, so again, to come back to us, for our website, we have thousands of different... So we have thousands of people that click on it in a day, okay? So... You obviously can't make something that everybody's going to be happy with. That's impossible. CMS, well, we have, I think, 500 or so people in the organization. But really, there's about, there should be about 20 or so people that, should, you know, maybe even 50, I would even say. You know, so what, let's, is that 10%? Yeah, I think that's 10%. <laughs> um, that should, I think, have a say in these kind of things. And re- otherwise, once they build it, all that's going to end up happening is frustration. I'm go- not yeah. just frustration. I'm going to come at you with every. Here's everything you did wrong. Here's the things that you could have fixed this first time around, rather than you know leaving it. And now it's still it's still a bug in the system, and we haven't gotten rid of it. True. No, that that's a fair point, and I think to that, I think that some some of the firms are doing that. I mean, Northern Trust has basically a sounding board that they. She was adamant. Uh, Barbara Malley was adamant that it wasn't technology people that were necessarily on. It was people from all across the land. Um, and then you also have uh, um, uh, North, BNY Mellon requires at least one person from their UX team involved in every single technology project. And you'd like to think that person would then reach out to the clients and have a good... But yeah, you're right. I'm sure it's a little bit of fluff and it's a little bit of... yeah. And I'm say, not saying anything about... The, the the article is great in that you know it takes these three people and shows exactly no, what no, it's working I, on. I'm just saying that I think that by and large, what usually ends up happening is like let's say that these are the three that these are since they wanted to talk, they must feel comfortable with it. Sure, I'm going to assume that they're doing a good job with this. Sure, um, but there are thousands of other firms right. out there that I think by and large are not doing a great job with this, and I can't tell you like when I talk with. My lower level, uh, so I have a couple friends and I have a couple contacts that are just lower level that I just have drinks with and stuff like that. And when they talk about their frustration of dealing with specifically user experience of certain platforms, you know, it's funny. And you'd think like, oh my God. You know, it is funny to that point. And we talk about, you know, what one point that was made by a couple of people I spoke to was that personal say, "I, I need XYZ. And they don't need XYZ. Really, what they need, you know, it's the old, you're asking for your uh, buggy to be faster when you don't even realize that you have an automobile. There's yeah. another one for you right there. Jesus. Uh, so, you know, there's, <laughs> to their point, maybe there is a little bit of, well, we know what you guys want, but you don't even know what you want because you don't even know what's available for you out there. So, fair I, enough. I, I, but I, I understand your point. It's a, it's a valid point. It's a self-selecting group because this is the group that decided, you know, they they were like, yeah, we want to talk about user experience. So chances are they have it pretty well in hand. But, I mean, to your point, Suresh even straight up said, we don't understand 100% what our client wants. We think we know what our client wants, but we still need to work on that. Out and improve, and then develop on that. There's no doubt. There, so, there, there is, you have to get the football so far 
you know, but then there is that, there's always going to be that tweaking toward the end. God, I just used There's another oh, one. God damn. Well, speaking of. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Actually, one other thing I want to jump on. Okay. Stop. The one thing I did like also, or one of the things I liked about your story. The article. one thing I liked about your story. It was shit, but the one thing I did like. Um, while you did touch on it, and it is touched on, I can't stand hearing about millennials. I know we've had this conversation before. I can't stand hearing about millennials. And also, when we're talking about user experience, I know how to use, like, I use the same kind of technology that millennials are using. I've been, I, we've been using these kind of technologies. Now, it's not like anybody's like, what is this iPhone? I've never seen an interface and all the things it can do. An iPad, my God. Yeah. These are all so new. Have you ever played a video game in your life? You're used to, give me a break with the, these millennials being so freaking cutting edge that they know so much better than a 35, 40, 50 oh, yeah. year old when my mother knows how to, the ins and outs of, you know, any kind of uh, iPhone, iPad, whatever, computer. Give me a break with this stuff. No, it's it's true. And if you read my my column from today, uh, not from today, from from Wednesday, from this week, I touch on the fact that user experience has nothing really. It's not just about millennials. I'll give you a quick quick analogy, quick story. So Wendy Redshaw at uh, Deutsche Bank talked about this is a retail example, but she talked about how she was working with the retail team and they were setting up some signs and doing advertising for their bank. And they showed a sign of a picture of a Deutsche Bank banker standing next to a person, a client, and looking at a big touchscreen board standing up and working on it. And the first thing she saw, thought was, well, this is an awful idea because my I know my parents and they can't stand for a significant amount of time because they're elderly people. And Older people are just as worthy of being clients, if not more so, to retail banks than younger people. And guess what? All those younger people they're trying to get, eventually they're going to be old and they can't stand. So it's kind of the concept of if you just focus on, oh, we got to get the 20-somethings, we got to get the 20-somethings, well, you're missing out on a Young huge... Young people like to sit down too. I mean, they, they, this might come <laughs> as a shock lazy. to some people. They I mean, lazy. yeah, I'm... I always enjoyed sitting down when I was 18 years old. You know? They are lazy. Well, as we talk about client experience and user experience and knowing your client, uh, it transitions <laughs> nicely Transitions nicely to know your customer, KYC, and not just KYC overall, KYC specific to the buy side. That was Anthony's feature this month. So, Anthony, to start, why don't you talk to us a little bit about it? Yeah, okay. Touching this quickly. I mean, your subject touches on everybody that we're going to deal with. This one's much more of a niche topic, I guess. But, um, you know, so, the, yeah, the article just looks at uh, how the sell side has always had it the worst when it's come to KYC and AML, anti-money laundering uh, demands um, from regulators and what they need to know from their clients, stuff like that. But over the last two years, um, they're finally now turning to the buy side and demanding more information from them because they're tired of getting hit with these massive fines that they've been hitting, getting hit with. So they're saying we need more information from their buy side uh, counterparties. And the regulators are saying, we want the buy side, we want more information, and we want you to do more due diligence in your onboarding processes. So, you know, it's just an article about that. Um, I talked to a couple of uh, end users, off the records, get honest assessments from them. Um, one CTO, uh, you know, he was talking about how, so it's of a massive asset manager and how they... Um, do all their KYC stuff in in house, and you know I said to him, you know uh, Dan and I were actually together when this happened, but uh, I said to him I was like that seems like massive headache. He goes it is, 
And then he quickly wanted to change the topic <laughs> from the subject. Um, and then another guy, a, a chief compliance officer that I know, um, me and him were talking about it. And he says, you know, that he's been in touch with uh, Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters because he wants to offload some of this. He says it makes complete sense. The problem that he faces is it's not high on the radar of the the senior people, CFO, COO, CEO, those guys, even though he is the chief compliance officer. Um, so to me, it makes complete sense. So I focused in on four vendors, uh, Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters, Clarient, and Market. Um, looked at their solutions because those guys have been winning a bunch of buy-side clients. So I figured, and they've been making a lot of news. I'm sure there are other um, platforms out there that I might have left off, but my contacts, if, if anyone would have named somebody else, I would have also interviewed them. My contacts were saying these guys, and they've had the most client wins of late. And so it makes complete sense. It, it's, it's just one of those things that... It, yet again, it's, it's it's a further development since 2008 of the buy side having to let go a lot of its um, administration, a lot of its back office. I mean, they've always been kind of pushing stuff out to their fund admins, but even now their fund admins don't even really want to help with this kind of stuff. So third managed service, third-party providers, and utility providers, that's the road forward. Who will be the ultimate winner? Will there be an ultimate winner? I I, I have no idea. I have no insight into that. My guess is that um, Bloomberg with Andy Exchange, Thompson Reuters with Org ID are very, very, you know, they, they've been winning a lot of clients. Um, I was very impressed uh, by uh, some of what I heard from Clarion. Market, I think, has been more uh, sell side focused, but is now starting to shift its attention to the buy side. I have no insight as to who's going to win or lose. But I think that going forward, that the buys that this will just be another step where the buy side's getting rid of some of their back and middle office uh, processes, um, keeping the decision making because ultimately they'll be the one at risk with the regulators and with the um, uh, the the fines that come in. But um, yeah, so that, I guess that that's the insight of it. And then right, it's like the old saying, you know, you can't outsource risk. Yeah, you know, so it's it's how much of that level do you want to outsource? What what did you, you know, you spoke to, I know you're always speaking to a lot of people, even that you don't necessarily use the information. What did you find in terms of how willing, where's the line for a lot of these firms in terms of how willing, how far they're willing to outsource these type of duties? I, I don't, I think that now that there's a, a that, 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 that there's a comfort level, it's the providers themselves and what the buy side is looking for. Um, and one of my uh, contacts said this, but the buy the, the the vendors, the third parties themselves are going to have to have skin in the game. They they have to be liable. Now you can't outsource all the risk, obviously. Sure. But if there is a data breach, if there is something, because you're giving over a lot of a very very sensitive material that currently is going through email, so now you're going th- which is risky and far riskier probably than going through a third party than with going with these third parties. But um, if there is a breach, you have to be it. You can't just say, well, listen, guys, we're just doing you a service. We're a utility. We're trying to help you. Sorry, you're kind of screwed with your client. You're yeah. going to have to tell them what yeah. to do. You know, <laughs> That is making people comfortable with your security levels is first and foremost. Um, and then having detailed uh, contracts written that explain here's the liability that we take on should there be a data breach. 
um, here's what we're not going to take on, or here's the liability we take on um, should we miss something in our uh, data collection, data collecting of your counterparties. So I think that's what we're we're seeing more. It's, it's going to come down to the security and then the SLAs. And with that in mind, with the amount of risk that these vendors are going to have to take on, you got to imagine that it's really going to it's going to start to carve off more and more where you're only going to really see those, I would have to imagine, those really big providers that are willing to take that risk that can take that risk. Yeah. Right? I would imagine. You know, that, that's, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would agree with you. And that's why you've seen that these, so Market, Thompson, Bloomberg, huge firm. Sure. Clarion is backed by some, it was uh, backed by Barclays, Credit Suisse, Goldman, J.P. Morgan. So right. these these aren't just uh, pop up shops overnight. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, the one thing that's you talk about email chain. The one thing that did stand out to me was those long email chains going back and forth with information. It kind of makes you wonder about security of emails and whatnot. Which brings us to our next topic. <sighs> Dan, you are on fire. <laughs> two <today>. for two. <laughs> two for two. So. Uh, Obviously, in the news was uh, Hillary Clinton, Democratic nominee for 2016 presidential election, uh-huh. uh, had a little bit of a conversation this 4th of July with the Federal <laughs> Bureau of Investigation. Something uh, everybody wants. Uh, and then, uh, not to be outdone, Mr. Donald Trump also did some interesting retweeting and then some interesting remarks about uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, so... I will. I'm gonna pass it along to for to Anthony to give the recap. He's way more plugged into this stuff than I am. I was at Boat Basin for the majority of Monday, uh, drinking my face off to be honest. Um, <laughs> and I was at a wedding, so I was uh, all sorts of busy with those massively important things. But what's the recap on 2016 presidential election? Well, I mean, I, I think most people are probably filled in on most much of this, but you know, so all right, obviously, thanks for making me yeah. sound like an idiot. I appreciate that. Thanks. So James Comey, the FBI director, he came out. Um, and called um, Hillary Clinton's handling of uh, with her email server handling of classified documents. So 110 emails that contain classified information, eight of which uh, contain top secret emails. Called it extremely careless, but then said that uh, we are expressing to justice our view that no charges are appropriate in this case. I can't help but think that if this is anybody else... But Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, or even Donald Trump, or you know, if this is a House of Representative member, or you know, somebody in the Senate, they're out of office. Sure. So, so this is where it comes. It's funny too, and uh, actually, somebody, uh, Christian Cooper, who's actually a derivatives trader, and he's uh, written, uh, he, he's written some books, and um, uh, he's a founder at a. Quanat, Quanat Capital might be getting oh, it wrong. Oh, but someone's he, having a little he, trouble. He, yeah, no. <laughs> he had a great tweet. So essentially, it boils down to this: she did it. She lied about it. She knew she was lying. U.S. enemies stole top secret information. No harm to America. She's just stupid. That's what it's boiling down to. Now, here's the funny thing: I'm a Republican. I can't stand Hillary. Clinton. I've never been able to stand. I, I could never in a million years vote for Hillary Clinton. Even I'm happy that she's still around that she's not being kicked out of this yet because I would never want to see Donald Trump as president. And here's why. All this is happening to Hillary Clinton. All Donald Trump has to do is just sit in the background and not do it. Just keep quiet for once. Just stop being on the news as stop making the news. Obviously, he's going to be on the news all the time because the media loves talking about him. Just 
keep your nose clear for for just a weekend. Allow every single topic of conversation to resolve revolve around the conversation that they had that Clinton and Cummings had, and then the outcome of it. So what he does instead was um, he goes and he tweets uh, over the weekend. He tweeted uh, this this thing. It was an anti Hillary Clinton um, uh, picture meme, whatever the hell you want to call it. But in it, it featured a six-pointed star saying, most corrupt candidate ever, um, with money raining down in the backgrounds. Um, many, many took it as being anti-Semitic. Um, they try, he tried to say, it's a sheriff's star. It's a not sheriff's star, yeah. It's a sheriff's star. I would, I it would, just happens to have money. I would, oh have been will, I would have been willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, not because it's not like it was at the, you know, the actual star. You know, it was just you know, a six-pointed six star, star, which... Okay, fine. Sure. The fact that it had been published first on a white supremacist uh, website 10 days earlier didn't help his cause any, and he wasn't able to explain where they got the image from, why they put it up. Okay, fine. That's one of those juicy little, you know, stupid um, media stories, you know, but you can make excuses for it. So then the FBI comes out with its announcement. I'm sure his advisors say to him, listen, we had the whole, you know, uh, anti-Semitic thing here over the weekend. Just stay cool. All right. Don't do anything for, you know, just give this a couple days to allow the media to feast on itself and really build up a, a froth about what does he do later at night while speaking in uh, North Carolina? He said about Saddam Hussein, <laughs> he was a bad guy, really bad guy. But you know what? He did well. He killed terrorists. He did that so good. They didn't read them the rights. They didn't talk. They were terrorists. Over. Today, Iraq is the Harvard of terrorism. So basically what he's saying is our foreign policy should now revolve around Saddam Hussein. Somebody who we all deemed as, and the Republican Party especially, deemed as being the most dangerous man out there who we had to send our troops to give their lives. And then the massive fallout that's happened since then, all the people have lost their lives both in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and then our own military people, all of this. No, now we should uh, build our foreign policy around what Saddam Hussein was doing, and we'll just ignore the fact that he was actually sponsoring terrorism and paying the families of suicide bombers to go into Israel and blow themselves up. So, here's what it comes down to. My final piece on it's just that. Let's hear it. I hate this election. I hate this. I don't want to vote for anybody. There's nothing. I won't vote for anybody. I'm going to do a protest vote. I'll vote for all the local elections. I'm not going to. I would never put down my name for Trump or Hillary. Hillary shouldn't be allowed to be president, I feel like. But I kind of shrug my shoulder and say, well, if it's got to be one or the other, give me Hillary over Trump. (laughs) That's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, it's... (laughs) I'm not going to use the exact terms they use, but uh, two election cycles ago or three election cycles ago, South Park did a great episode about how uh, one of the characters didn't want to vote in the election because he didn't want to choose between these two awful choices. Yes. And uh, it's the same It's the same situation now. Uh, I think, I feel like any reasonable person, uh, whether you're on the right or you're on the left, it's tough to really, you know, let's put it this way, because I think a lot, the majority of people are reasonable people recognize that Trump is insane. But then if you flip the script, and I think Hillary's looked a lot better because she's compared to Trump, but if you put any 
normal any other Republican any normal candidate, Republican candidate Ben Carson would be winning this thing. I'll bet you if you I, I could vote for Ben Carson. Any other the Republican people yeah, I think if you put there. a normal Republican candidate, I think it'd be basically what's happening to Trump would be happening to Hillary. Everyone would be like, what? Like, why are we going to elect this? It's just should have been John Kasich, man. Should have been president. <laughs> yeah, your boy, Shame. your boy. I, I don't know. It's just it's uh. At this point, still, I still find it entertaining. I think it's awesome just to watch the world burn and see this whole thing happen. Uh, it will be a lot less funnier come whatever January 9th or whatever when the uh, you know the swearing new president in. is sworn in and actually the power of the f- entire free world is either handed to Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Uh, but that's a reality that we're heading towards. Um, Let's see if you got the transition for this one. Speaking of crazy realities. <laughs> A team in the NBA now exists that has Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant. Uh, For those of you that are unfamiliar, the team that had the best record in the history of the NBA um, and lost in a game seven, basically on a last, not a last second three, but a late game three to the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, that team just added one of the best three players in the entire league without losing essentially anyone. I mean, yeah, you lose Harrison Barnes, but who's Harrison Barnes? Harrison Barnes is a poor, 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 man, Kevin Durant. So, yeah, that's the world we're living in. This gets the... So, forget about... I'm not going to, you know, the NBA season doesn't start until October, so we don't have to talk about that, but... <laughs> but a interesting debate Anthony and I had in the office and that we can bring up now is the whole concept of basically to make a long story short Kevin Durant caught a lot of heat because a lot of people said you're chasing titles you're chasing titles you know you did what LeBron did in 2010 which is not a fair comparison because LeBron made a big show of it and he was just he was ridiculous when it came to it but you teamed up with a bunch of better players instead of staying where you were and fighting to win a title. Um, you teamed up with a bunch of good players and just tried to basically buy a ring. And, you know, uh, I saw Charles Barkley tweeted earlier today, said earlier today, that Kevin Durant uh, is trying to cheat to get a championship. Uh, interesting Charles, who yeah. doesn't have any championships. You know, he has a lot of experience, Quick, I guess. quick to point fingers. Uh, my take on it personally is, I think it leaves a little bit... You know what the problem... The problem is that he was on a contender. His team was up three games to one on Golden State, was a, you know, a whisper away from making it to the NBA Finals. And probably, I think the way they matched up, I think they even could have beat Cleveland. I mean, who knows? But I think they had a good chance. So you go from that, and then not only that, you add Victor Oladipo, a really good young guard, to your team from Orlando. And yet you decide that you want to leave and you want to go to Golden State. Now, on the other hand, it's a free market. He was a free agent. He was with Oklahoma City for nine years. Oklahoma City, Seattle, Supersonics for nine years. Uh, and at the end of the day, sometimes you want to change the scenery. You want to switch things up. And let's let's be real. Everyone is judged by the amount of rings you have. Everybody knows Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Everybody knows Jim Kelly never won a Super Bowl. Everybody knows Charles Barkley never won, a, never won an NBA title. So... I think that you can't really blame the guy for wanting to go out and get a championship. And if he has the opportunity to play on this, you know, this basically all-star team, why not do it? I Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Charles Barkley, that's just ridiculous. Because as I remember, 
he didn't stay in Philadelphia his whole career. And I seem to remember chasing some titles, going to Phoenix, and then didn't even last ditch try and go to Houston. Yeah, if yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So please spare us that one, buddy. Um, but yeah, in today's society, in today's sports talk society, the reason why I just do not care about sports talk because it's dumb, you know. As and now let me go into sports talk here. Um, <laughs> is just that there's no winning. If you go after the tight, if if you stay with your team, ah, you're afraid to go and do great things. If you go to uh, the best team, ah, you're chasing after a ring. That's garbage. If you go from a great team, but then you go to a lesser team, but make a ton of money off it, ah, you just care about the money. You don't care about winning. Back in the day, they cared about winning. Listen, if he wins a title, just the same way we see with LeBron, he won the t- He won two titles in Miami. Everybody is just like, yeah, he's won the great. This, he won the titles. No one takes away your title because you won it with Steph Curry. That doesn't go away. You're a champion forever. Everybody calls you a champion. And then also with OKC and Oklahoma City, guys, you stole the Supersonics, okay? Don't, you know, you're not going to have a lot of uh, crying, all right? Yeah, <laughs> just welcome to, you, 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 got a, you got a franchise that has a stench to it, and now it's your stench. Congratulations, take it in. The best comparison I heard the other day was, imagine if, so you, you know, people always like say, that's ridiculous, show some loyalty. Okay, let's say an employer, a competitor of whoever you work for, that's a better company, offers you a job in a better city with better colleagues. Are you going to, at, at a higher profile gig, are you going to take that job or are you going to stick it out with the company you're at because you want to help build them up? I have a better one. How about this? If you really believe in this loyalty, I'll tell you what, I agree with you. What we should do is they should create some sort of program where everybody in the whole city has to go and vote on this. And if you say, yes, I want my money to go toward Kevin Durant and other and signing other players check yes and then we'll take money out of your paycheck and then we'll see how loyal you are <laughs> to the team that you support my guess is that you're not going to be that loyal anymore yeah i mean at the end of the day let him do what he wants to do and people say oh now the parody in the league is going to be awful well i mean yeah there is some sentiment to that i just saw that ray allen might come back now and either play for the warriors or uh or the cavs yeah it's it's essentially a two team race it looks like but a any of those games are going to be awesome. And B, every team in the league is going to give the Warriors their best game ever. And the pressure that's going to be on that team, it's just going to be awesome to root against them. It's, they're the new evil empire. And the other it's, great thing is that even with all this, you know, te- that there's going to be great teams and everybody else is pretty terrible, the Knicks will still miss the playoffs. <laughs> Doing big things. Just got Courtney Lee. Uh, no, you know, we're, not talking, D-Rose, we're not talking about the Knicks. Noah. <laughs> big moves. Well... We've gone on long enough. We've drawn on long enough. Uh, not too much to announce. It's kind of the dog days of summer now. We have the Waters rankings on Thursday, the actual event. That'll be a lot of fun. Tony, you got anything else? Nothing else. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and tune back in next week. 